0: We need to address loneliness. It is literally killing us. But more and more, the research is telling us that there are real health consequences of loneliness.
1: Results in a 29% increased risk of heart diseases. That's equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes every day. The problem is that more and more people are lonely today. In fact, it's almost
0: one in three. We must connect to people. We must engage with people.
1: Time and time and time and time again,
0: it's community that saves us.
1: My name is Rachel Abel, and this is The Missing Piece. I'm a leadership specialist and community builder at UNSW, and I'm also known as Head of Making Friends. The most important thing to me here at the uni is to make sure our 60,000 students feel connected, that they belong, they matter. In our now hyper-connected world, we're facing a loneliness epidemic which is taking a serious toll on our health and our well-being and could be the next economic and public health crisis. Working at a university, I've come across so much research that points to community as the missing piece to helping solve this very real issue. But building community is really hard. So I thought I'd go out into the real world and interview the likely and the not-so-likely experts about how they build their communities. I'd like to share with you what we've learnt and what the science says about how to build open and sustainable communities that boost connection and reduce loneliness. Why? We believe community really is the key to future-proofing education and also your business, our public services and personal relationships. Because belonging is better. Today I'm right in the heart of Sydney at the Uniting Medically Supervised Injecting Centre, commonly known as MSIC in Kings Cross. This centre is the only place in New South Wales where injecting drugs is legal. Yep, the law is literally different inside these walls. This centre provides a non-judgmental health service to people who inject drugs. In addition to saving lives, the centre aims to welcome and connect with people who are largely invisible in our society. Now, you may be thinking, this is an unusual place to go looking for answers about community. But trust me, we have a lot to learn from people who've been made to feel like they don't belong to the broader community. They have experiences, ideas and insights which can teach us a lot about how to build welcoming and supportive communities. Because they know about the barriers to belonging. That's why I wanted to talk to somebody working in partnership with members of our community who are often forgotten. My guest today is Matt, Health Education Team Manager at MSIC. Matt is in charge of all things health education and promotion and oversees Uniting's wonderful Art from the Heart project. For nearly two decades, the centre has been caring for people who inject drugs and Matt is here to talk to me about the importance of listening, trust and understanding in creating community. Thank you so much, Matt, for sharing some of your time with us today. Really, really appreciate it. First of all, can you just explain how the centre came about?
0: It all started in the late 90s uh, where many, many people were dying on the streets of King's Cross from uh, particularly heroin overdose. The purpose of our centre is to ultimately save people's lives from from overdose-related harms. And the greatest harm associated with an overdose is death. So we're we're here. Really, our number one thing is um, to make sure no one dies. And indeed, no one has ever died inside this building. And throughout all the hundreds of um, injecting rooms around the world, no one's ever died from a overdose-related thing. And and I think that that's such an important point to get across. Um, where we're sort of like lifeguards, where if there are people around. Uh, observing people doing a risky thing, whether it's swimming in the ocean or injecting heroin, they're far less likely to die, and that's what we do. These things are actually written in the legislation; like we, we have to do them. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's not our choice, um, but luckily they align with, with what we believe is is fair and yeah. and, and just and compassionate. So, um, uh, and I, I really like to think of that as like we're a stepping stone on someone's journey, whether that's the first stone or the fiftieth. We're, we're just a stone on someone's journey for whatever they wherever they need to go, and then I think um, uh, this this one is is sort of difficult to quantify. But we actually it, it's written in the legislation that we have a community purpose, and that is to respond to a community need in this area. and And it's sort of linking with, with what I was saying before. In the late nineties, mm. there were there was injecting happening on the street, and absolutely no one prefers that situation to to what we have now. So um, I I mean, all the stakeholders involved, every member of the community would rather that this activity occurs here than on the street. In this center, since we opened, we've responded to uh, just over nine and a half thousand overdoses. And I would do that every day here. That's a really real thing. That's Um, a daily
1: part of your job. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And not all of them would be fatal but some of them would Mm. and um that's a really when being involved in an in a potentially fatal overdose it's part of my job Mm. um but the gravity of it is still real in the sense of if that person weren't here they would be dead and and so i think the 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 number nine and a half thousand is impressive it's you know that's indicative of the Nine, nine and a half thousand overdoses that didn't happen somewhere else and, and didn't have ambulance calls and yeah. reduced that, that um, cost as well, yeah. let alone the, the trauma experienced by um, members of the public finding a person overdosed or, or, or that sort of thing. All of that is reduced when we're able to respond to it.
1: Communities thrive when we respond to the needs of everyone. Issues experienced by individuals or groups need to be viewed as issues that affect the whole. For instance, studies have shown that when individuals have access to education, they themselves benefit in their careers, but the whole society benefits with increased social and economic prosperity. So as Matt says, when we apply a community lens, we realise that responding to a particular need not only benefits that group, but also benefits the whole community. It's in legislation that you're part of the community that you have a role to play there. And so, what what does that mean? What what is that? Because I think you know a lot of people wouldn't necessarily think that this kind of centre would have those kind of relationships with the community.
0: Yeah, um, I, I think this is a really interesting question. I'm I'm, I'm really happy to to talk about it. and certainly uh, thinking about it. Um, helps me sort of clarify um, for my own role and sort of <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> mission um, what what this is about. And I, I think um, if someone comes in, injects, and leaves, mm. actually we've done our job. Like that, that yeah. is really transactional. Yeah. But they didn't die, and and that's that's a really great yeah. thing. Um, but there's so much more to it, of course. And and it is it it is really relational. It, it, actually, the the success of our service is about the trust that we can build with the clients, because mm-hmm. if we, we recognize that this activity is happening anyway, yeah. if someone didn't want to come here to use, they would use somewhere else yeah. that no one is f- forcing anyone to come and use, uh, inject in this building. So the the thing that we do every single visit in large and small ways is build a relationship and build trust with the, the person. And so it could look transactional for a thousand times, you know, but if if every single time we ask that person, how are you going? We might, and, and I'm not exaggerating here, we, we might be the only contact that day for that person where someone just said, how are you? Or good morning. And just greeted them in an accepting non-judgmental way so that's that's not in the legislation that's not a kpi but it's so important because if that happens over the course of a year or 10 the the relationship is there for that person if and when they need it Mm. so um i don't i i understand how it can seem transactional but the work that is happening is between is the trust being built. The
1: trust aspect of that as well. So how important is trust between the client and the center in terms of then that kind of building the underlying community Mm -hmm. that exists here?
0: Trust is crucial and um, our reputation is crucial. Our reputation amongst the wider community and our reputation amongst our clients is absolutely crucial. If you went to a cafe and they treated you terribly You wouldn't want to go back to that cafe um uh, we're we're, we're different to a cafe but the the concept is the same um where there is a hospitality element to what we do in the sense of helping people feel welcome Mm. and respecting respecting them and and affording them the dignity that everyone deserves
1: Mm. and I'm really interested in how you go about doing that. So mm. talking about <laughs> dignity and respect um, is something that runs through lots of different communities. How do you make sure that people feel that they're being treated with dignity and respect? Are there kind of really practical things that happen here to make sure somebody feels that way. They feel comfortable.
0: Yeah. So I think um, safety is, is a big one. Um, if, if you can demonstrate that you're thinking about people's safety, you're demonstrating that you respect their, their right to safety and, and you're offering them the dignity of a safe place, a, mm. a safe service. Um, that looks so different as well. There's so many ways to do that. And one of them is um, if you're in trouble from an overdose, we'll save your life. You, you know, you, yeah. you can trust us to do that. We're professional staff trained to respond in a safe, efficient way, which is um, like non non sort of punitive or judgmental as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there might be someone that has an overdose every single time we see them. That doesn't affect our response to them. We we would do the same response every single time. We'll talk to them about risks and all that, but um, they should feel safe that that they. Um, that w- we'll keep treating them I- in a safe and, and dignified way. Yeah. And, and then I get maybe, maybe just to, on the, the other extreme, the um, meeting people, listening to people, and connecting with people is the way that we build the relationship. Mm. and and build that trust and and earn that trust as well
1: is that through having conversations with people just making sure that when people come in you know somebody's talking to them and you know you know people's names and that kind of you know over time because i would imagine some people you know they've been coming here for a number of years months years
0: yeah um knowing someone's name is um is huge mm. and and that's that yeah that, that's sort of going back to the hospitality thing it's mm. like if you if you um if your favorite cafe know your order and greet you every that. day I love that that's
1: brilliant i love it when they yeah. know it yeah yeah
0: um and you you want to keep going yeah. back there it really is that simple yeah, <laughs> um, that's and the same. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. It, it's really and that's just a uh, um you know th- there's a professionalism to it but mm. it's also recognizing um that we care about that person they're not just a an event or a transaction occurring, they're a person that's that's utilizing the service mm. and and uh, making them feel welcome, providing uh, uh, some hospitality is 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 so crucial and and that's how um, I think that's the thing that that um, underpins our reputation amongst mm. our client group, where they feel safe to come here. They tell other people about it. Most, most, most people who come here for the first time are brought by someone else. And that's wonderful. It y- you know, uh, an existing client um, is, um, you know, meet someone who they know, is, are going to inject, and they say, "Oh, don't do it in a toilet, come to the the injecting center, mm. do it there. What a great endorsement for the yep. the, uh, you know, what a great demonstration of the trust that we have amongst our client group yeah. and it, 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 it's so important and, and something that um, that we never take for granted because um, it always needs to be maintained and, and the upkeep of that is is crucial.
1: Okay, so we know that we need to treat people with dignity and respect, that's basic human rights. When we're respected, we feel accepted for who we are And this acceptance helps us to feel a sense of belonging. Community development experts Kenny and Connors remind us that community building isn't based on virtuous acts that involve pity for the disadvantaged. Instead, it involves recognising and respecting differences and working together for change. Trust and respect are also critical for building alliances with community members, linking into existing networks and learning from members of the community. Chief Psychiatrist at South Australia Health, Dr John Braley, emphasises the need for dignity and respect to be actively embedded in organisational culture. Respecting those we work with is fundamental to achieving any collective task. And as Matt said, without dignity and respect, there is no trust. And without trust, there's no sustainable partnership within communities. It's simple, when we treat people as we would like to be treated, we're in a better position to work towards common goals that benefit us all how does what you do here fit in with other services how are you part of that whole kind of system of, of healthcare or other service provision in the city
0: a person um, might need to see a doctor but they might have other priorities that day such as finding in And using drugs Um, but once that's happened and we've seen them here we can say hey remember that thing that you were talking about going Mm. to see the doctor or going Mm. to see housing Um, let's let's talk about that you you know we can help you with the phone call or we can refer you to to another service and then the really really important thing there is that our relationship with that other service and our knowledge of the other service so that we can um, help that client on on that journey.
1: So talking about that advocacy role and representing potentially marginalized community members or, you know, in in terms of groups, marginalized community, what do you find to be particularly the challenges in getting those voices heard and helping to get those voices heard?
0: There's there's actually sort of um, two really crucial relationships. to to achieve advocating for marginalized people. One is um, the trust of the community, the marginalized communities. If our clients didn't trust us and didn't think that we had an an understanding of their needs and their voice, um, we could not possibly advocate for them or on their behalf or with them actually. And that that would be the, the goal really. And then there's trust from everybody else. So mm-hmm. if um, if government didn't sort of trust what we're doing, um, they probably wouldn't keep funding us, <laughs> um, and, you know, and, 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 or, or if um, if there wasn't some. Acknowledgement that whether or not you agree with the concept of this place, if there wasn't uh, some sort of acknowledgement that it is meeting a need and is successful um, in terms of what its its aims are, um, you can't get anyone to change their mind. You can't advocate um, all that effectively for people that, that don't want to, um, that don't believe that what you're doing is worthwhile. We can't listen to the person and we can't meet them where they're at if we're wrapped up in criminalising what they're doing.
1: And meeting people where they're at is such an important principle of supporting people in the community, isn't it?
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, Yeah, you you have to meet someone where they're at. You you have to listen to them first before you start talking about all the things you want to talk about. You have to build trust with that person and a relationship with that person. Um, Our role is to to provide an, an example of what can happen and also talk with people and educate as well and and in a like a non-combative way because no one's going to listen to you if you're yelling at them (laughs) you know really ultimately yeah you can't change anyone's mind if um if they don't feel that you listen to them Mm. and really important to us to do is um to be open with what we do and to do things like this, to talk about it. But also we run public tours. We, we do like two every month. The point of that is that anyone who wants to know more about us can come, literally come into the service and see it. You know, it's demystifying.
1: In terms of the community within the centre, people who work here, people who volunteer perhaps, um, the people who use the service. and So you must have quite a lot of different groups of people here. How, what do you do to bring everybody here together as a community?
0: So the the thing that um, brings us all together it's the mission. And I, actually, I, s- I say this to clients quite a lot. Um, we're here for the same reason. Mm. A- and what I mean, so I, I, yeah. I, this is actually a thing I say to clients. Um, maybe sometimes if I'm having to pull them up on some of the rules or, or something, I say, like, um, I'm here for the same reason you are, so that you're safe. <laughs> like, that, yeah. y- you come here to be safer, I come to work to provide that service we're looking at a way uh right now actually it's it's quite exciting to um have some of our clients be peer volunteers within the service so um they're like sort of active clients of the service but we we're putting in place now a really structured and safe and sort of um appropriate way that those service users can put on a name badge that says volunteer and that's a way that um, we're sort of tapping into the resources of the community and that's really important the recognizing that the community of people who use the service have so much knowledge and experience and skill around the topics that that we're talking about around
1: And I would imagine there'd be lots of people here who're involved with the centre who would really welcome that opportunity, and you, there would be quite a lot of people who want to give something back to the centre that's helped them, but also to support other people that they can see need help too.
0: Yeah. So uh, the reason that we're we're embarking on this journey of having what we're calling peer volunteers is because they were asking for it, uh, you know, like people were saying, how can I, can I come a volunteer here? Can I do something? I want to give back to my community. Uh, one amazing way that we, we actually empower our clients to contribute within their community is we, so there's this thing called Naloxone or Narcan, and that is the uh, drug that reverses an overdose. It's a life-saving drug. It is like bread and butter for us, and um, for any any people listening from North America, they may have way more knowledge of it because the overdose epidemic is is just off off the scale of what we can comprehend in the Australian context. So naloxone is much more common and, and known about in North America in particular. But but we use it, um, ambulance people use it. What we do as part of a initiative. With New South Wales Health is we train our clients to administer it to other people and we actually provide them with a um, takeaway pack of that drug. So what we're doing is empowering the people we see here to go and help keep their community safe where people are injecting outside of our service.
1: And I guess that extends the reach of the centre really as well as giving those people a sense that they're also contributing to their own communities as well.
0: Yep. Uh, So two days ago, a client um, heard that an overdose was happening in a nearby hotel and they had naloxone on them that we had given them and they went and administered that. And um, I talked with with that person later and they said that the person who was overdosing lived. So they saved that person's life. We gave them the drug in which they could do that yeah. it, it's it's really it's so real the the importance of um this this type of thing in and it is ultimately about extending the reach of what we're doing and empowering our clients to go and save their community members, the, you know their friends their, their peers their members of their communities to save their life our clients will probably see way more overdoses than than we see And um, so, empowering them, upskilling them, training them to um, respond is a huge uh, responsibility and and a huge opportunity for us. I think um, where in any context where peers are involved or or peer Mm -hmm. knowledge is utilised or or you know valued, that's such a um, acknowledgement of the strengths of. Whatever community that might be, in our case, mm-hmm. we're talking about a community of people who inject drugs in Kings Cross, mm-hmm. um, and recognizing that um, that those that those people within that community have uh, really important, valuable experiences, um, positive experiences, but also they might have um, developed. Uh, no, in fact, not, I know for sure that so many of our clients. Have developed unbelievable levels of resilience and compassion, and just just an amazing ability to um, keep going in the face of a lot of really traumatic hardship or abuse. I, um, sort of uh, slightly different, but linked with the volunteering. Project here is we have a, uh, it's called the Consumer Action Group. So they're members, it's like a representat- representative group uh, made up of clients of our service who um, do a whole range of things uh, f- for the service. And
1: they meet regularly and they'll look at any aspects of the
0: center. They come in and meet once a month, uh, usually, and they sort of consult on some of the things we're doing and they advise us. Yeah, you know literally like how should we this is a really small example but like how should we format this document and they advise us on that and in fact the concept that they wanted like peer volunteering roles here that came from that group right. you know yeah. that was a really direct thing of they said hey matt can we please volunteer here and i said okay i need to go work on that <laughs> but <laughs> but it was from them. It was literally a conversation with and a really ongoing conversation with that group. Um, but then also we we might bring things to them uh, or we, we try to involve them in like um, research projects that we're doing and just say, hey, what what do you think about this? Is this is this fair? We try to involve them when we're uh, maybe presenting at conferences or, you know, in some of the training that we do literally like. They come with us, or, or they're part of the presentation, or you know they contribute to the content. All of it is underpinned by this this understanding that their input is important. They're a really crucial stakeholder in the operation of all of this, and so we should listen to them. We have to listen to them. We might have the sort of, I guess, the bureaucratic or the the authority, the power, but part of that is to um, listen to other people and and to to um not feel so or rather to to act with some humility in listening to the community that is that uses the service Mm. that is affected most by the service
1: having that group that is so active within the service is that one of the things that kind of makes this a community in a way yeah i think
0: for the people that are in that group the the clients of our service who are in this representative group um i've talked with with i know all of them I, like i've talked with them with them many many times about this and about other things and the the really just simple answer that they sort of give as to why they're in that group is because they want to give back to their community they see their um that they're able to do something positive for their community for other people who are using the service it it really is that simple it's like there's a opportunity for them to contribute and they they love doing that our role is to provide some of the structure to provide that opportunity um but then to sort of step back a bit and and let you know it's that that sort of really classic saying nothing about us without us it really is that sort of simple and that's why people would join that group because they want to contribute.
1: Regardless of your education or expertise, there really is no substitute for lived experience. Not only are community members best placed to identify their own needs and priorities, but they have really valuable skills and experiences which are critical in developing creative solutions. This notion of nothing about us without us that Matt mentioned speaks to one of the core values of community development theory, bottom-up development. This approach is grounded in the idea that people who are affected by decisions should be empowered to influence those decisions. A crucial component of bottom-up development is listening. Matt has helped to develop the Peer Volunteer Programme, which exemplifies what we can create when we listen to members of our community. And a Swedish study of successful innovation in companies found that creativity and innovation were largely generated from the bottom up. So really listening to people on the ground benefits the whole community and leads to more sustainable solutions. So just thinking about what you were saying before about, you know, people from the centre going out into the community. I understand you also bring a lot of people into the community, not just through um, being open with the tours, but also with the Art from the Heart project. Can you talk us through a little bit about that and and what that means and and how that engages with the broader community?
0: Really simply, it's like we... Every, every year for the last nine years we've um, provided paints and canvases like the materials for clients to paint and they do it on-site they do it in like our aftercare area and um, really 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 basically it, it's another thing where we're doing something to respond to the needs of the of the clients of the of our client community so uh, so many people love painting and and mm-hmm. um, but might not have the opportunity or the resources to do it. You can imagine if, if you're sleeping on the street, carrying around canvases and brushes and all that is not feasible. So we just provide the materials and the space and the time in which to do that. And then we exhibit the artworks. And um, this year, uh, or at the end of every year, we... We hold a big exhibition, public exhibition, a big launch and it's really about celebrating the creativity and the voices of of our clients. It's a way of our clients' voice or the voice of that community reaching other communities or reaching a wider wider section of the community.
1: With that exhibition, do um, the clients who painted the pieces there Attend the exhibition, people from the community attend the exhibition. So it's a really great way of extending that reach again,
0: yeah, we we really emphasize that it's anyone can attend this thing. It's public, yeah. and that that is the point. We want anyone and everyone to come. in the past, we have had um clients mm-hmm. who painted artworks attend the big launch event, you know where where sort of you know Clovermore did a speech and all oh, these things you know, it's a big it's a big sort of. Swish event, right? And we had clients there, and they they loved it, and they were part of that that event. And I don't know about uh, about you, but I've never had a room full of people clap for a painting that I've done. That's amazing. I
1: have to say, never. Ever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I don't you know. think it's going to happen anytime soon either.
0: <laughs> so it, it's rare. And yeah. I've never had any artwork in a public art exhibition mm. at an art gallery. Um you know it, it's a rare thing and it, and it's 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 about um, access it's it's about giving uh, or providing an opportunity for people to do something that they love doing they just not might have mm. the resources and the access to do it yeah. and then um, you know setting up this big lovely event to a big community event it really is that that's the focus of it I' I've, I, I've been doing this for two years now this is my second year of like coordinating it and a lot of people, Uh, or i'm asked quite frequently like what's this about what's the the point of it or you know what's what are the positive impacts um particularly as it relates to um the the broader community and it's about empathy Mm. it it really is it's um so creativity is just a human thing to do whether it's painting or singing or cooking or drawing or, or Or thinking you know creative thinking whatever art is a way that human beings can express their creativity and express their voice whether you're someone who is sleeping rough and injecting and using this service or whether you're I I don't know um, someone else (laughs) who's not doing any of that whether you're just uh, um, a person who likes drawing we can understand just intuitively, that to to create is to do something human. The point of showcasing it to the to the public and promoting it and inviting again, this is this this concept of inviting people to come and learn learn about another community is to um, to increase empathy, and and actually I I, I think of it as a the gift of empathy where if someone who doesn't know anything about the life of someone who is homeless can look at a painting and have some whether it's a big or small amount some more understanding about another way that people live and another person's experience that is a gift of of empathy and art can just be the mechanism through which to switch Mm -hmm. that on but the flip side of that is what what how does the the rest of the community benefit, and I think that for those willing to listen and to have their empathy switch turned on, the empathy light bulb turned on, um, that's an important thing that we can do for for the broader community um, beyond our clients.
1: It's a wonderful project and you know scheme to be involved with. I was going to ask you as one of my last questions whether community building was actually part of your job description but i think now i want to ask you is empathy building one is that written in your job description or
0: should it be no it's not Uh, it's not in my job (laughs) description um i I can change it um well i think i think um empathy is just a a foundation of so many things you you know like just we talked about trust before of course like You know, you're more likely to trust someone who you can understand empathizes with you or you feel that they empathize with you. You're more likely to trust them. Uh, It's similar with community building. I I think Um, it's a really valuable tool. It's a really valuable approach to doing these sorts of things um, to, to just attempt to understand or at least be open to understanding someone else's experience. Is just a way to connect with them. That's what that's what empathy is, um, and and you know empathy with with humility is really powerful, and um, that's that's a really yeah. It, I don't know if that will ever be written into a job, any job description unless you're an empathy consultant, um, <laughs> but
1: there you go. You just created a new job. Yeah, for yourself, Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, but, but I think that those are just sort of values that, um, mm-hmm. that I try my best to live by and that we try our best as a service to, um, to enact and to hold ourselves accountable to as well. Um, and I think, where we can share that with other people so the art project is re- just a really great way that we can do that that's a really important part that we can play in the community to to sort of um, demonstrate that those things are possible and demonstrate what happens when um, you listen to people and and provide a safe space for them and try to understand what they're going through and you might never un- you will never truly understand what someone else is experiencing but at least you can um, walk with them and 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 that's what that's how in fact isn't that is not is that just what community is people sort of in the same place roughly doing the same thing and getting along <laughs> i don't is that too simple maybe i,
1: I think that's uh, simple and perfect that's the missing piece We think community should be in everybody's job description. And clearly Matt thinks that empathy should be in there too. Neuroscientists have found that when we see someone in pain, the pain pathways in our brain are activated as if we were experiencing the pain ourselves. Although the actual pain we experience is not nearly on the same level as the person in pain, our bodies know how to give us just enough empathy to motivate us to feel concern or offer help. Herbert Spencer, the 19th-century philosopher and contemporary of Charles Darwin, proposed that our capacity to empathise has actually been key to our species' survival. Empathy is also key to creating a climate of support and care within organisations. The Empathy in the Workplace report, which analysed thousands of leaders across 38 countries, found that empathy makes leaders more effective and makes businesses more successful. My last question for you, which is a little bit of a tangent, um, but but strangely similar to, you know, what we've been talking about uh, earlier in the conversation would be that if we were going to swap your job for a day, so if you got to take what you've learned about building community here and then try it out in another community setting. So in this example, if you were going to be in charge of a surf lifesaving club, for the day with all of its challenges um what do you think you would take from what you've learned about building community here and apply it in that different maybe not so different setting as you've <laughs> described yeah. earlier what, what might you use from your experience
0: um a, a few things it, it's really important to look after the lifesavers they're doing a really hard job they're putting themselves at risk too, so so they need to be looked after as well. They're they're part of a of, of a community. They're doing a job, um, just as we're here doing a job. But they're people too, and and their well being really matters. That's that's really important. Um, and then and then pr- probably just recognizing that people are going to do dumb things that I don't like or I don't, I don't agree with, but they shouldn't die because of that. And 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 we should, uh, you know, we have the ability to um, (laughs) respond and and reduce risk and and keep people safe, and then do our really our best not to like judge them really harshly and, and awfully, you know. But but also like put in place parameters that an education, but also literally boundaries of you know don't go here and explain why to people. Explain why this is maybe not a good idea. Or, you know, like uh, you, before we were talking about rips, like if you don't know what a rip looks like, you can't mm-hmm. avoid it. So part of the role of the the lifesavers, I guess, or actually wider communities to talk about what they are and why they're dangerous and how to avoid them. The same could be said about drug use or, or many, many other things that are risky. Yeah, those are the things I, I would, I would take to another job, but I can't swim as well as I can (laughs) uh, do this job. So I think I'll (laughs) stay Maybe a few lessons first before we
1: throw you in. Yeah, quite literally at the deep end. Yes. Um, Thank you so much, Matt. I have learned a huge amount today. Uh, Thank you for sharing your amazing knowledge and also your incredible passion for your work. I think, you know, that comes across to me so clearly Um, that you really love what you do here and um, your passion for for wanting to help people here and and the work that you do here is amazing so thank you so much for your time really enjoyed our conversation
0: yeah me too thank you as well
1: what an insightful conversation with Matt and really quite hard-hitting I think in places It's really incredible what we can learn from conversations like this. And I took away so much, but here are my top three takeaways. Number one, walk with your community. Being that stone on someone's journey, treating people with dignity and respect in even the smallest part that you might play along their path really might make all the difference. Number two, nothing about us without us. This is about listening at the grassroots and hearing what your community needs and then acting accordingly. And number three, empathy is everything. Putting yourself in somebody else's shoes doesn't have to be painful and empathy can motivate us to help in ways that they need. Thank you for listening to this episode. Make sure you head over and follow me at Rachel Abel on Facebook or Rachel Abel underscore on Twitter. You can find snippets and additional content on The Missing Piece YouTube channel and all other kinds of posts on our Instagram at tmp.podcast. I'm Rachel Abel, Head of Making Friends, and you've been listening to The Missing Piece.